From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And joining me today for the first time on our podcast are CQ's John Donnelly, who covers national security, and Andrew Siddons, who covers health care. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you, David. Hi, David. So House and Senate negotiators cut a deal on the two biggest spending bills of the year, one for the military and the other for the Departments of Health and Human Services, Education, and Labor. The two-bill package amounts to $855 billion in funding for the fiscal year that begins October 1st. That's about 65% of all the discretionary spending for the year. And the package also includes a stopgap measure, known as a continuing resolution, that's designed to avoid a government shutdown. The stopgap would extend current funding levels to any federal agencies that don't have their full-year appropriations in place, guaranteeing they can stay afloat through December 7. Well, the Senate plans to take up the package this week, and it's likely to win easy approval because it has broad bipartisan support. So we wanted to dissect this package a bit, and I've got the experts here to do just that. And, John, let's start with the defense bill because it's a biggie. How big is it exactly, and and what are the highlights? Okay. Well, this is the uh, defense subcommittee for the Appropriations Committee's piece of the overall national defense budget. It's the the overwhelming majority of that defense budget. But I just want to point out that it doesn't include military construction money or nuclear weapons money, which are funded in separate bills. So it's even a little bigger than this bill shows, actually, the whole thing. Exactly. The cap on national defense spending in the f- current f- in fiscal 19 is, I believe, $647 billion. Okay. And that's base budget, all right, not including war. The base budget amount in this bill is $606.5 billion of that. And then on top of that, is war money, so-called overseas contingency operations money, $67.9 billion. That war money is not capped by the Budget Control Act. The grand total then in this bill is $674.4 billion. And there's lots of there's, – because it's large, it's, it's the, the base budget portion of that, to put it in historical terms, is the biggest uh, since World War II. So if you exclude the cost of war, you know, we, during the Iraq and Afghanistan uh, peak, uh, we were spending more in total. But when you separate out the cost of war and you just look at that core part of the defense budget, it's never been bigger in modern times. So that's saying something. And we should note that all this extra discretionary spending is also helping boost budget deficits, which are quickly going to return to trillion-dollar levels uh, as early as next year, according to the Congressional Budget Office. Yeah. And so as a result, there was plenty to go around. So oftentimes when they were tr- trying to decide whether to, p- whether to fi- fund one of this ship or two of this ship, they said, hey, let's just do three of the ship. Um, and so that, that added up. And procurement of weapons, research of weapons, they got big increases, a little bit less money for the, uh, the operating and maintaining and the personnel side of things, even though they increased the size of the military and gave a big pay raise. So those are some of the highlights. So are there any complaints about this bill so far? No, not really. I mean, number one, when there's so much money to go around, there are more happy campers. Um, And uh, the other thing is, I think it was rather a stroke of genius to pair it with the labor HHS education bill from a political point of view, because 
it kind of uh, gave it a lot of democratic support for the for the whole package. And so, you know, and combined with the Republican, you know, overwhelmingly Republican support for the defense piece, uh, it really gave it a pretty strong uh, undergirding of support in, in both chambers, despite maybe some misgivings on the among conservatives in the House. And this deal would ensure that the Pentagon actually gets its funding on time. That hasn't happened in a while. It hasn't happened in about a decade. And that is a huge deal, almost a, a bigger deal than the amount of money or even where it goes because the amount of money between fiscal 18 and fiscal 19, not a huge difference. And a lot of the same programs get funded. So if they just kept things on autopilot from 2018, it wouldn't be that big of a deal for, for at least for a few months. But the Pentagon, like all agencies, hates these continuing resolutions. The, the biggest thing is they can't start new programs under the terms of with a few exceptions, um, the the norm is you can you have to spend whatever you were spending in in the current fiscal year in the next fiscal year. So they can't start new programs. They can't increase where they want to increase, and so it's a real it's a re, it's a real straitjacket for them. Which again is not a big deal for a month or two, but when you start getting into the next calendar year, it begins to really pinch. And so this year they probably won't face that problem. Correct. And if this passes, John, as expected, should we expect to see defense spending continue to increase at this rate, do you think, in coming years? Or is this sort of a, could this sort of be the peak? Well, that's a really important question because uh, the, the budget agreement that was struck in February of this year was for fiscal 18 and fiscal 19. And this bill we're talking about is for fiscal 19. Uh, but in fiscal 20, the, 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 deal only, the deal only boosted up the caps for those two years, 18 and 19. In 20, they dropped back down for defense and non-defense. So in the case of defense, whereas it's $647 billion for base budget in FY19 under the, um, the budget agreement that was struck in February, it goes down to $576 billion for base in fiscal 2020. That's a $71 billion drop, okay? It's not going to happen because Congress isn't going to let it happen, but the question is how much of that they need a new billion. deal then. Right. Are they going to get, I mean, they got $80 billion in FY18 as an increase to the cap, $85 billion in FY19 as an increase to the cap. Are they going to, they're going to be looking for something similar in the next year or two, um, you know, going forward. And, you know, that's not a given that that's going to happen. Okay. Uh, so let's get to the health care and education bill because that's often the most controversial of the 12 annual spending bills that we need to fund the government. So, Andrew, how controversial was it this time, and how did they reach a deal? It was still pretty controversial at points. Um, they ended up sort of following the Senate precedent that that chamber has been following all along this year of just getting rid of all, quote-unquote, poison pill policy provisions uh, in all of the spending bills. Uh, the version that the House Appropriations Committee marked up was full of controversial things like that uh, related to preventing any federal funding from going to Planned Parenthood, uh, overriding the Flores settlement, which would basically allowed uh, the government to keep immigrant children separated at the border in detention indefinitely. And whereas the Senate, uh, which has had some of its own controversial provisions uh, of their own in recent years, just didn't uh, didn't touch any of that. And in the end, the, the Senate's uh, approach kind of won the day and has carried this bill, you know, almost to the finish line. 
So no poison pills is getting the job done. So are both parties happy with the elimination of those policy riders? No. Um, it wouldn't be a compromise unless everybody was unhappy about something. Um, so uh, the most conservative members of the House think that they they run government. They should be able to get their their policies enacted through these bills. Um, but as John said, with by pairing it to the defense bill, it's going to be a lot harder for the, for them to vote vote against this whole package. Um, you know, they're upset that the Planned Parenthood stuff wasn't included. Uh, the codifying these conscience protections for doctors or health providers who don't want to participate in in abortions. So social conservatives don't like exactly this bill. exactly. But then on the on the other side, um, the one mildly controversial thing that the Senate managed to put in at the last minute was this amendment related to re- requiring the prices of prescription drugs in advertisements. That was cut at the very end in the conference between the two chambers, and it seems like the Senate's policy of you know dispensing with all controversial writers ended up including one of their priorities as well. I see. And how big is this bill, Andrew? Is it is it much of a boost over this year's level? Um, not really. It is a hundred seventy eight billion this year compared to one seventy seven for fiscal twenty eighteen. Um, that's less than a one percent increase. Um, Hardly the whopping increase that defense gets. Right. Uh, but, you know, but a lot of programs um, are are getting modest boosts within it. Um, and in the end, m- most people are, are, can live with these numbers. And it's a big bill, of course. What are some of the highlights that jump out to you for the, in this? The um, So at HHS, uh, it's about 90 billion total. Um, 39 billion of that is going to the National Institutes of Health for medical research. It's a $2 billion increase over last year. Um, but it, compared to just five years ago, it's a, it, NIH had $29 billion five years ago. So it really a $10 billion boost over five years really shows you how popular the NIH is with Republicans. They've and, been winning and big Democrats. increases. Yeah. Yeah. Um, medical research is popular. And with the, uh, with the boosts to the current levels under the budget caps, they haven't had to these these increases haven't had to come at the expenses of too many other you know health or education or labor programs. Um, things like um, money for opioid abuse you know got a bump this year about total uh, four point four billion. Um, the CDC gets around seven point nine billion. Uh, the Pell Grant gets an overall increase. There's a little more money for special education and uh, kind of flexible ed- Department of Education grants. Uh, the Labor Department is mostly flat compared to last year, but that's the smallest of the three departments funded in this bill at around $12 billion. Um, education got a slight overall increase in the around $70 billion. Uh, and then there's other agencies funded as well, like the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, um, Social Security Administration. Right. And they rejected all the, the deep cuts that the Trump administration wanted, obviously. Right. No cuts to public education funding, um, no cuts to some healthcare programs that have been controversial with, with conservatives. Um, and for a lot of these programs, staying flat is about as good as they can hope for on a year-to-year basis. Okay. So the Senate will be debating all of these issues this week as the package makes its way to the floor, and CQ will be covering it all for you. My thanks again to John Donnelly, our defense expert, and Andrew Siddons, our healthcare expert, for joining me. Thanks, guys. Thank you, David. 
And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your CQ Budget Tracker. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the daily CQ Budget newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or NPR One. And for more budget news, you can subscribe to CQ.com or visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter. The handle is at CQNow or at RollCall. See you next week.